This is iFanboy Pick of the Week 661, brought to you by Mac Weldon. For 20% off your first order, visit MacWeldon.com and enter promo code iFanboy at checkout. And iFanboy listeners just like you. Pick of the Week, episode 661. I am Ryan Haupt, and I'm sitting in for Josh Flanagan, and this is my co-host, Connor Kilpatrick. Much like the yearly viewing of the Charlie Brown Thanksgiving special, it's becoming a yearly event to have you and I do the Thanksgiving show, because Josh has kids. Well, that has me feeling very thankful. And I am I am thankful because we are a fanboy, and every week we read our stack of comics, and one of us picks their favorite book, and we call that the Pick of the Week. We talk about that book, other books from the week, the patron pick which is an interesting one this week. And maybe if we have some time, some listener mail. And it's going to be fun. Take a break from family drama and listen to us, and you'll have a good time. And remember that this is a uh, review show, so there's going to be some spoilers. So just use your better judgment. And you know what? It, it was a weird week of books. So just enjoy what we have to say about some books you might not have thought to have read otherwise. And um, this week, Connor, you have the pick. Before we get to that, it is the Thanksgiving episode. Ryan and I are both exhausted. So this show may be... Less tight and or shorter than normal. I don't know. I, I had a lot of books I wanted to read this week that I just didn't have time to get to. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. It was. A, it was harder, obviously, because it's Thanksgiving week in America, to get the books read in the appointed time. So it was a. It's a. It's a challenging week. It's a, it, this is. This is probably the most challenging week to do the show all year. Anyway, no crying for us. This week, the pick of the week. It's actually also the patron pick. It's American Carnage number one from Brian Hill, Leandro Fernandez, Dean White, Pat Brousseau. And if you're new to the show, the patron pick is at patreon.com slash ifanboy. All the patrons of the show get to vote to add a book to the rundown. Usually that book is added to the rundown at the end. It's the last book we talk about. But this week, the patrons picked the book that was also the pick of the week. So it's at the top of the show. American Carnage number one is a new Vertigo book. And it was the only one... From that big announcement of Vertigo's new books that I really noticed, was excited for. It seemed like the only one that wasn't a horror book. I was kind of horrified by some of the things in it. Well, it's it's way more scary than than any book of vampires in it. So I was I've been looking forward to it. I've been excited. Plus, Brian Hill, Josh, and I've been talking about for a while now. Is we feel like the next big superstar writer in the making. He did a really good run on Detective Comics. Josh really liked his run on the Michael Cray miniseries. And here he's doing American Carnage number one, which is a crime story, and it fills, at least starts to fill the scalp-sized hole in my heart. It's it's actually, it echoes the book quite a bit. Really? I got I got 100 Bullets vibes from this. Um, really? That's interesting. I see scalped. I guess the art, I felt, had a very Rizzo... Leandro Fernandez has much more, yes, that's a similar, but story-wise, so the story is... There is a former FBI agent who lost his job when he accidentally shot a kid who is now a private detective, and he's being called upon by another FBI agent to go off the books and infiltrate an organization that they believe is dangerous. The high concept being that the former agent is half black and half white, but passes for white. 
and the organization he's infiltrating is a suspected white supremacist group being led by a uh, popular media figure. And so there's lots of echoes to today's society, but turned up to 11 for the crime story purposes. So that to me echoed sort of uh, Dash Shield, Bad Horse going undercover and scalped. So this issue, you, it's really just the setup. You meet the characters, you meet the, the co- you meet the main detective, you spend a lot of time with the media figure who is supposedly running this organization, and then and then he's begins his infiltration at the very end of the issue. It was smart. It was well re- written. The dialogue was good. Uh, the art was terrific. The setup is intriguing. The characters are strong. They're interesting. They all have dark shades to them, even the good ones. He tries his best to make the bad ones seem nice. I thought that was the most interesting part. Yes, the uh, scene where he meets, where he goes and meets the contact the, with the daughter of the media figure. That one at the diner, and then she's yes. like speaking Spanish to the to the wait staff, and he's like, "Wait, you speak Spanish?" She's like, "Yeah, I live in California." Yeah, it doesn't matter that I'm a racist monster. I have to <laughs> <laughs> so, well speak Spanish. Uh, and then at the end, of course, it's revealed. Yes, this, this organization is actually really terrible at the burning cross and the, the white supremacist clothing. I'm excited for this. I haven't had a big time crime book like this in a while. I think Brian Hill's a really good writer, and he being black himself probably has an interesting perspective on this story. I think there's a lot of potential here. Leandro Fernandez, we've been big fans of going back to Queen and Country all those many years ago, 10 years ago. And uh, he had been doing The Old Guard with Greg Rucka, which was a book that I think four out of the six issues was pick of the week. So clearly we liked it, and then it just disappeared. So I assume that's over. I like his work. It's unusual. It's dynamic. As you said, it has a bit of a Eduardo Riso vibe. It's very shadowy and moody, but it's also a little bit exaggerated in the facial structures and expressions, which gives it this really uh, dynamic look and feel. So I really like this. In, in a, I'm not going to denigrate the book to say in a week where there wasn't any other contenders because there weren't any other contenders, but it was a clear winner no, probably no matter what week I read it. What's interesting to me about you picking this book, when I when it looked like it was going to be the front runner for the patron pick, I went ahead and read it. I don't know that I would have read it without it being the patron pick. It was kind of driving my interest in the first place. I do try to check out number ones, but like you, none of the Vertigo number ones have really sunk their sunk their claws into me and, and maybe want to keep going. Right. And so I was kind of like, man, Connor is a person who does not like discussing politics in public. And this book feels pretty nakedly political. Sure. It feels like it has a stance and an agenda. So I was curious if you were at all trepidatious about talking about something like that or expressing an interest in something like that. But it sounds like you're more interested in the crime. Well, it's, it's a story. At the end of the day, this is a fictional story, so it doesn't really matter. Even if it has echoes to, to the real world, it's still, it's still a fiction. What did you think of it? I really liked it. I really liked it. I think it's a really strong creative team overall. I also think, you know, we don't often talk about covers on the show, but I'm a big, I've been a big fan of Ben Oliver's work for a long time. So having him on covers duty is, is a treat to me. And yeah, it was a meaty issue. There's a lot that goes on in issue one, which is great. It doesn't, it didn't feel like some of the image number ones where we complain that it's all just right, the exactly. premise and the story hasn't happened yet. The story is clearly happening already. And you learn a lot. You, there's, there's, uh, I guess three, four, main characters and you you spend enough time with them to learn something about them he does a lot here brian hill's a really good writer and i think if there's any justice in the world he's he's one of the next big names in comics because he's clearly very good at this yeah i enjoyed this quite a bit so um i guess since it's the patron pick we'll also do what we do with the patron picks is to give it a five-star rating and say if we're sticking with it so ryan what is your rating for american carnage 
Oh man, it's an easy four and a half. It, I could even I could be convinced to go a little higher, but at least four and a half. I'll start at four and a half. Starting a bidding at four and a half. What do you got for me, Connor? Well, it's it's tough because in the old days when we had the pull list on the website where you rated you did rate the books, my whole feeling was if it was the pick of the week, it was is automatically a five. So I, I uh, I'll give it a five. Nice. I like that. I, I like that you. I was gonna say I like that you're sticking with it in terms of your <laughs> system. But then I guess the next question becomes: But also, are you sticking with it? Yes, obviously I am. Yes, I am also sticking with it. I'm really. I'm actually really excited for it. That's good because you have you were not planning on reading it. And the yeah, I mean the the final page is a really captivating image yep. uh, of what this book might have to say next. It is over the top, but intentionally over the top i mean you you say that no it's over it's over the top and then all these things are happening all at once in this small space and but that is intentional like a lot of things and so you it's it's more about the imagery and not about specifically all these things would be happening within this small space although it'd be crazy but really good if you like crime if you are interested in that if you are a scalped fan you got to check it out. American Carnage number one, DC Comics and Vertigo. There's your pick of the week. Now, Batman 59, I thought for a few pages, might give American Carnage a run for its money. Tom King, Michael Jannon, Jordi Belair, Clayton Cowles. So we get to the next chapter of the Penguin Bane story, as we talked about last time. Bane has been sort of orchestrating everything that's happened to Batman in this entire run by Tom King, and the Penguin has revealed that to Batman, including... Uh, the breakup with Catwoman and shooting Dick Grayson in the head and everything else has happened to him. And I thought this was a really good issue when Batman busts into Arkham to confront Bane, who's been, quote-unquote, running Gotham City from the, his cell in Arkham. And uh, he plays dumb in a way. He's, he, he, he doesn't give up his position to Batman, despite the, the beating he takes. I feel like there's, a, there's some lines for Batman. One of them is that he would never punch Gordon. I agree. No matter how angry. Uh, to me, punching Gordon is like punching Alfred or punching a Robin or yeah, they're they're or allies. Batgirl. They're never... But even allies, like he would punch Superman. I don't think he'd ever punch anyone in the family, and I would put Gordon in that circle. I don't care how upset he is. I don't think he would ever punch Jim Gordon. It's interesting to me because the way Tom King is writing this arc of the story, and it might be partly uh, Michael Jannon's art, which is stunning. My, uh, Julie kept looking over my shoulder while I was reading this issue and being like, holy crap, that's a good drawing. I was like, yeah, he's, he's real good. Yep. My, and my wife, for those who don't know, is a, was a scientific illustrator at one point in her career. So she, she knows good illustration when she sees it. <laughs> for me, Batman is coming across angrier in this arc than in the previous arc where he went out to get KG Beast. Right in the in Siberian tundra, which is the guy who actually did shoot Rick. Yeah, Rick but the Grayson. the whole thing is like, and, and don't ever call him that. <laughs> KG Beast may have actually sh- pulled the trigger, but Bane made him do it. The KG Beast was the tool, yeah. and Bane was the was the reason why it happened. Sounds like it sounds like Batman really needs to take control. <laughs> it's just, I mean, I get it, I get it. Tom King's dealing with Batman reeling from trauma. He is spinning out of control. This isn't the first time in Batman history we've seen this. He certain, this certainly was something they explored in less realistic fashion after the death of Jason Todd back in, in, the, in the late 80s. I mean, and, and then actually in that post story, he did punch Superman. But I feel like... He did. He almost broke his hand. 
if Superman hadn't turned his face in time, he would have. I remember. I just feel like when I got to that page where he's about to punch Gordon, I was like, no, don't. And then he, then he just lays him out. And I thought, no, I just can't. I can't go there. I can't go there. I really liked the scene of him versus kind of the SWAT team. I thought that was really well done where they all, he kind of just says like, do you guys really want to get beat up by me? And they all kind of like, no. <laughs> I mean, it's always kind of like, oh, is he... Is he really going to punch a cop if he doesn't need to, or throw a cop into a wall if he doesn't need to? But it was a really good scene, and, that, and I, I like the scene with him and Penguin. I like, and I like the scene with him and Bane. The whole issue long scene where he's trying to get Bane to admit that he's responsible for everything. And obviously, I really like the scene where he said, "You shot my boy," as he's kicking him. Yeah, one issue I'm having with the, the Penguin stuff is he keeps referring to Penny, and he keeps he has a picture frame, but the picture frame is never. We only ever see it from the back. Right. Is that a reveal of some kind that we're waiting for the other shoe to drop on that? Or do I just not remember who this Penny person is? Or she's a MacGuffin. doesn't really matter. I think she's not a MacGuffin. I think she's a, a penguin. MacGuffin's you think she's an actual a penguin? I, that's my guess. I don't know. I think it's going to be something ridiculous like it's a bird. A monarch <laughs> penguin? I don't know. Well. He said, he said she had green eyes. Penguins don't usually have green eyes. But that was just a thought maybe, that I Maybe had. that's maybe why he was drawn to her ridiculous twist what did you think of the final page oh the final page was great and i think the thing is if you take out that two panel progression where he punches gordon i think this is a terrific issue i just can't get past that particular scenario i mean i knew that page was coming of course you know this page is coming we know we first of all we know bane is doing this because we've seen the we've seen in the previous issue you know you, you you spend the whole issue beating him up and asking him you know these questions and him playing dumb to get to the point where he he gives us that smirk when he's alone. I mean, that's the whole point of that. I, mean, I knew it was coming, but it was still a great page, a very effective panel. So it was good. It's just I can't I can't get behind it. Can't do it. Can't have it. Are you reading Nightwing? I'm reading Nightwing. I'm curious what you think, because as Josh and I discussed the last issue, this is this is uh, Nightwing 53, Scott Lobdell on plots, Fabian Nicieza on scripts, Travis Moore and Patrick Zercher on art. Against my better judgment, I'm enjoying it it's a weird thing with nightwing where this is not the first time someone else has decided to be nightwing just because like without without dick's approval or blessing. everyone should want to be nightwing so i don't i understand it's a good point because there was that blonde guy in the early 2000s that's right was the that's n-i-t-e right. wing that's right i forgot uh. about that guy jeez <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I, I don't know what what it is about the Nightwing character that everyone just wants to put on the suit with uh, the knee pads. I thought the knee pads were a little a silly touch. DC really <laughs> loves their knee pads and their collars. It's I don't understand what the fuck's going on over there. I thought this was a good issue. I mean, the cop, I, 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 the DC universe does not seem like a place where a single cop could take on four toughs simultaneously by themselves. That but he like doesn't. He, he, yeah, I guess he gets beat up pretty bad. He tries. He thinks it's going to be easy. And he, I mean, I thought, so in the last issue, as we said, uh, a cop finds Nightwing's burned out lair and takes the costumes that didn't get burned, his various costumes from various eras, the red one, the disco collar one, and the blue one, and the other blue one, or the yellow one, with the, the yellow logo. And uh, he's going to go fight crime as Nightwing since Nightwing is gone. And he goes, so in this issue, he goes and tries to bust up uh, some guys who have done some organ trafficking and some other kind of trafficking. And he tries to do the window entrance to this and falls and falls in on his ass because it's not so easy. And he's about to get shot when 
Rick Grayson shows up to save the day. So he doesn't really... I mean, he does punch the guys. He throws a... a I guess, are they still batarangs when they're Nightwings? A Nightarang? He's only he able a, to do that because Rick's intervention distracts everyone, and he basically sucker punches everybody. I think my favorite thing about this issue is I actually really liked the little, uh, little little date scene. Yes. I like whenever Dick Grayson gets to be the romantic. I think we all do. Sure. And the thing is, it's a similar conversation to last time. It's that, against my better judgment, as much as I don't like what they're doing, I think what they're how they're doing it is compelling here. I do think the story is really compelling, partially, as I discussed before. I don't know how this is going to end, because... I don't know how far they're going to take this get rid of all the sidekicks thing. So I don't know. Maybe this does go with him never being Nightwing again, or maybe it doesn't. It just goes back to normal. Also, the big reveal is that Scarecrow's come to town. So did you catch the name of the the alias he was going by? I'm sure I didn't. He was going by Dr. Gruaday. What's that mean? Gruaday is the family of birds that include cranes. So it's Dr. Crane. (laughs) Interesting. Okay. These are the things I noticed. This is no, that's why you're does. here. I mean, it's good. I, as much as I don't want to enjoy it, it is enjoyable. I do. I continue to think the uh, Travis Moore art is really strong. Yes. I, I like his Dick Grayson face. It's not your standard male superhero face. Still pretty, though. Still pretty. Has to be. Can't not be pretty. We'll see how far they take this, but for now, I'm I'm cautiously enjoying the book. What do you think of Marvel Knight's 20th anniversary special, number two? Number two, written by Matthew Rosenberg and Donny Cates, with script by Matthew Rosenberg and art by Nico Henrichon? Yes. Is that the book you're referring to? That's the book I'm referring to. Uh, I liked issue one better. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it's fleshing out the story a little bit more. We're introduced. So the, the general premise is it's sort of a parallel universe, or maybe our universe, where something has been altered, sort of that timeline continuity alteration where... All of our favorite characters from the Marvel Knights series, various series, your Punishers, your Electros, your Daredevils, your Bruce Banner, because he had that Azzarello Marvel oh, Knights right. series, I think. Yeah, um, did. It was a good Hulk run. Uh, short, but good. They have all forgotten who they are, except for Bruce Banner, who is getting messages when he sleeps that are he thinks are being written by a child. They're clearly being written by the Hulk. In this issue, Matt starts to get his memory back, but it's kind of vague and unclear and Electro is introduced and I don't know I didn't like this as much as the first one what was missing I like the first one and I actually really like this one too I know it's weird I know there's no explanation but I kind of like that as I said and we'll talk about the last issue if this was the first two issues of of the newest Marvel event I'd be really excited because I think it'd be wow this is something different and interesting but still the stakes feel high this is obviously just some story they're telling which is totally fine Mm mm-hmm it's interesting, and I think the the Nico Henrichon art is really great. It's not the kind of art you normally see oh, in, a, sto- love, in a story it. like this. That was half the fun. So the end of issue one is Karen Page shows up. Yep. Daredevil's uh, former lover who was killed by Bullseye, and the book opens with issue two with them having a conversation on the roof, and it's unclear if she's a figment of his imagination, mm-hmm. but why would a blind man need a visual hallucination to make that happen? And so I, th- I thought that scene was a little confusing. I thought that the fight between Frank Castle and Elektra dragged on longer than was necessary. And then like... I would agree with you for that, yes. And then it looks like Bruce Banner actually does Hulk out. Yes. And as Frank is getting ready to open the door, Daredevil stops him. And then the whole fight kind of stops. And then Elektra reveals that she can see Karen Page. And so we don't find out, like, is the Hulk actually sitting in the back of the police cruiser or not? I don't know. It just... It, it, it took like a left turn 
at points where that wasn't the left, the left turn that was happening wasn't the part of the story that I was kind of interested in that moment. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's all very minor criticisms. The, the craft of the book is well done. The storytelling is great. I am curious to see where it goes. This just didn't quite hit me as, as well as the first one did. That's all. It's a very, it's a sl- slight diminishing return. On the, the last page, the cop car door is open. I saw that. I did notice that. When they is, get that dist- I mean, distracted by Daredevil. Yeah. So I, I think this is super fun. I, I really don't care if it go if it's tied in. I don't want, really want it to be tied in. I kind of like that they're just telling a story involving these characters and have fun with it. I don't know. I am. Whatever it is, whatever it is, it is. Archie 700. I dropped that Archie on the main book a while back, but I figured, hey, issue 700, I'll dip in and see what's going on. Turns out it's the first issue by new writer Nick Spencer with artist Marguerite Salvage. Sauvage, letters by Jack Morelli, and I had dropped off of Archie, the main book, because as much as I'm a huge Mark Wade fan, it, it started to not feel right after a while. Uh, it started to feel like middle-aged man writing teenagers. It wasn't compelling. It wasn't interesting. The characters didn't read right anymore after a while, and I so I dropped off. But here I dropped back in, and so this issue will probably feel very familiar to anyone who watches Riverdale. Very familiar. I'm not a longtime Archie fan. Mm-hmm. I read the Mark Wade stuff until Fiona Staple stopped drawing it. <laughs> well, that was <laughs> like so, two-ish, three issues. That's how much I read. <laughs> I, the, the thing I liked about the Mark Wade issues, it gave me a sense of who all these characters were. Fiona Staple's art is gorgeous, but um, I also really liked Mark essay, Mark Wade's essays in the back of the book about the history of Archie. Mm-hmm. Um, I get really into that that historical stuff and learning about the origin of these very old but still contemporary characters that exist in, in our media landscape. So mm-hmm. I liked all that, uh, but then I, I read this just because, you know, it was in the script. And issue 700. It's a big, it's a big issue. So the the reason why you'd be familiar with it if you're a Riverdale fan is it has a narrator. The narrator's Jughead, like on the TV show. Much like the first episode of the show, they all coming back from summer break and everything's changed. The dialogue and the way the characters refer to each other is very much from the show. Tony Stark runs the newspaper, apparently. They can't, they can't totally mimic the show or ape the show. First of all, there's already a Riverdale book. Second of all, it wouldn't exactly fit right in with the comic book world. But it's pretty close as, you, as you're going to be able to get in the book itself. Everyone comes back from Summer Break with secrets. Some are revealed, some are not revealed. Jughead is now the star writer for the local paper whose articles keep going viral. He's the Anthony Bourdain of Riverdale. Betty went, spent a summer doing political canvassing in Nevada, and she came back hoping to reconnect with Archie. And so did Veronica, who spent the summer in New York partying as part of a public relations firm. Her job was to party with the clients, and then which you think would be un, a bad idea for a for a probably sixteen year old girl, but uh, what do I know? Is Riverdale like Springfield? Are we not supposed to know where it actually is in these United States? It's always somewhat close to New York. They're always jaunting off to New York. Okay. M- many years ago, Ron and I had this debate. I had always thought it was Long Island. I was apparently wrong. Apparently, it's always sort of in like upstate New York, Westchester area. Uh, they never actually tell you. Because there's a lot of pine trees. It looks it looks more mountain. Well, that would be yes. as a result of shooting the TV show in Vancouver. Ah, yeah. Which, okay, so here's the thought I had reading this. I'm going to pitch this to you. But hold on. Before you do that, the, the final uh, secret, which is the biggest one of all, and is Archie's. What had he been doing all summer? He didn't go anywhere. He didn't do anything. More like who? And it, he turns down Betty. He turns down Veronica. 
And it turns out that he has hooked up with Sabrina the Teenage Witch over the summer, and now they're an item. And so that's the big secret from this issue. Continue. Is Scott Pilgrim just Katie and Archie? And I didn't know that when I was reading it originally. Wow. Interesting. Interesting. I don't think I ever noticed that. It's not exactly an analog, but it's but it's similar. It's similar. Do you, hmm. They. I can't think about that right now because it's going to break my brain at the end of the show. But it's it's similar, but I don't know if it's exactly exactly there. All right. That was your thought you had when you read this. Yep. Because they all kind of are lovable lovable goofs, you know. Uh huh. Yeah, I I did enjoy this. I I don't know that I will keep with it. I'm not that invested in. Mm-hmm. I'm not that vested in the love triangle now love quadrangle but there was nothing about it that was bad I just don't know that this is going to be part of my comics diet moving forward yeah I don't know either I, I dipped in for the big anniversary issue which I, I did enjoy it I think it'll depend on when the next issue comes out and what else is going on that week that's probably what it'll, what it'll come down to let's take a quick break to talk about Mac Weldon Mac Weldon is better than anything you're wearing right now. It's a premium men's essentials brand that believes in smart design and premium fabrics. I've been doing some traveling over the holidays. And as I've talked about before on the show, whenever I'm traveling in a plane, I tend to wear my Mac Weldon underwear. It's soft. It's got the antimicrobial fabric. It's got the anti-roll technology. When you're sitting in a plane for many, many hours, you want the best and most comfortable underwear. And that's what I go for with my Mac Weldon's. Mac Weldon believes in smart design, premium fabric, simple shopping. When you go to the website, it's easy to find product. You find the different categories. You drop them in your cart. You're ready to go. Mac Weldon will be, the, will be the most comfortable underwear, socks, shirts, undershirts, hoodies, and sweatpants, and more than you'll ever need to wear. They've got a silver line of underwear and shirts that are naturally antimicrobial, which means they eliminate odor. Not just for underwear, guys. Shirts as well. I mean, you know, Ryan, you do a lot of outdoor activity. I do. Shirts will smell bad after much sweating. I was recently in pretty desperate need of an underwear overhaul refresh. Mm-hmm. And so I, I will I will admit, I was not asked to do this testimonial, but I thought, you know what? I'm going to go to that website and I'm going to use that, that coupon code iFanboy. I'm going to get myself some new underwear. Back all the ones to be comfortable. So if you don't like your first pair, you can keep it. And they will still refund you, no questions asked, which is crazy. And not only does Mac Weldon's underwear, socks, shirts look good. They perform well, too. Great for working out, going to work, going out on dates, everyday life, hiking, Ryan. Mm-hmm. Going out into the wilderness and digging into the dirt. I wore them for my Thanksgiving morning turkey trot, little 5K downtown. Can I tell you something about them that you, you don't talk about in the ad that I was delighted to find when I put them on? Sure. The leg, the hole for the leg, cinches ever so slightly, which prevents it from riding up. That's part of the great design. It's, it's, the, it's the little things. It's the anti-roll technology and the waistband. It's the leg cinching. It's the antimicrobial. It's, it's the smart man's underwear, Ryan. I feel smarter for having to, I, it's, I feel dumb for waiting so long. As a smart man, I think you'd appreciate it. I'm appreciating it on my body right now. Here's what you can do. You can do what Ryan did. You can go to MacWeldon.com and enter promo code iFanboy at checkout to get 20% off your first order. That's 20% off. It's a great deal, for, especially in the holidays, if you want to get some gifts for people or just treat yourself. Because honestly, everyone needs to treat themselves sometimes. Go to MacWeldon.com, promo code iFanboy, 20% off your first order. Check it out. Have you read Mars Attacks? I read it because you guys were so complimentary to issue one. And how does it pass the science test? You know, everything seems uh, d- totally valid. Seems on point. Scans. Yeah. Yep. Um, yep. So I just think this is delightful. I don't want to go too deep into it because it, it, it doesn't, not a lot has changed from the first issue, but 
uh, our two heroes, whose names I don't know, but the father and the son run into a militia group who have barricaded themselves into a little Main Street downtown area with all their guns, and they're going to take the fight to the Martians, and that ends very, very quickly. I think Kyle Starks or Chris Schweitzer would be able to do this because they're, they're both writers and artists themselves, mm-hmm. right? But the way they're able to do comedic timing in comic book form is pretty incredible. Like yeah. when the guy is crawling away after getting his legs blown off and then the, the leg comes down and thuds him. <laughs> <laughs> so funny. <laughs> it, it's it's a very funny book. The art is really terrific. Kyle Starks, Chris Schweitzer were the two guys behind Rock Candy Mountain, although Kyle Starks did the art for that one. This is Chris Schweitzer doing the art and... It's got a style and a personality all its own, and it's just as funny as the other book. It, this is a great comic, and we, you know, we don't normally go in for the licensed books here, but man, this is a really good one. If you're going to do a licensed book, especially like Mars Attacks, this is the way you need to do it. Give it to two extremely talented creators and let them just go, sort of go nuts with it. Dad's being pushed around in a wheelbarrow. They've got a dog now. <laughs> you think they could get a better it's... mode of transportation at this point? But... There's no time. And I guess it's fuel efficient. Dick Tracy, Dead or Alive, number two, which is basically the the Allred family plus Rich Tommaso and Sean Lee doing Dick Tracy. Have you read this one? Yes. What do you think of it? I like how much this is kind of feels like an indie book. Yes, yes. Even though it's one of the oldest comic book characters out there. Right? It's, it's one of the oldest that's still being produced. And, and look, IEW, their whole business model is licensed books. But this is, a, as you said, a very indie lens. This feels like it book. could be top shelf for Fantagraphics. Yes. Tommaso's got that quality to his art. And honestly, the characters of Dick Tracy, the villains who are all caricatured mobsters, even though there is no mafia, lend themselves to this style of art because he can really play with their looks and make it really, really I assume weird. you're an old-timey Dick Tracy fan. I know you think you talked about this with issue one. But we did. I, 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 mean, really... I mean, I don't know how to... So I've, I've always liked Dick Tracy. I've read the books throughout the years, you know, reprints and things like that. I, I wouldn't say I'm a huge Dick Tracy fan. I really enjoyed the movie. I owned it on Blu-ray. You know, I'm someone who read the reprints when I was a kid, but I wouldn't say I'm like a huge Dick Tracy fan. But this I like really I like the property. Yeah. And what do you think? I really hadn't read any any Dick Tracy. It's good. Um, I liked Clamps as my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> um, I enjoyed that they put some like footnotes in the back matter to mm-hmm. explain some of their inside jokes that they were sneaking in. And the one that they did not include is Dick Tracy's Captain Haddock cosplay from the Tintin books, which right. I thought was hilarious. What's interesting is that we talked about this in the first issue. So this book feels like it's taking place in 1938 and then they still have him uh, use a cell phone, which turns out to be a big plot point. It just feels like you don't need it. But then at the same time, it feels kind of perfect that, that this is such a weird mashup of eras. And why not just have this very, very Depression-era story having some very minor technologies in them? Because the boat, the guns are old, the cars are old, everything else is old but the, but the phones. And then much like Dr. Crane calling himself Dr. Gruaday in Nightwing, we also have this character, Diogenes Lanthorn, is that his name? Sure. And uh, Diogenes is a Greek philosopher who is the founder of cynicism and was often depicted as carrying a lamp. And That's right. And the book is carrying a lamp. That was cool. That's right. I liked it. I really do. Enjoy, I this is a, this was a patron pick. I wasn't I wasn't going to read it. I guess I didn't even notice it was coming out. But I, I also kind of like that it's this all red family 
project where Lee and Michael Allred are the, are the writers. Michael's doing the inks. Laura's doing the colors. And uh, it's a whole family affair, which is nice. They clearly have a lot of love for the property. Yeah. I, I will finish this since it's only four issues and now I've already read the first two. I will go see this through all the way. I don't know that I have the energy, Ryan, for a weekly X-Men book. I guess I forgot that Uncanny X-Men was going to be weekly. And so when this issue came out, I was like, wait a minute, you just gave us an oversized issue last week, and oh, right, fuck. Is it maybe just this event is going to be weekly, and then it'll slow down? Or I think I read just, that the, this... the whole the, the series is going to be weekly, but I don't know. Oh my gosh, I didn't realize that. All right, well. I... <laughs> That's why there's three writers. Might not stay on my pull list as long as I thought. <laughs> it's weird that like Madrox is getting a lot of play these days. Yeah, and it was it's in a very similar way to his miniseries, it which, is. Was, which is yeah. weird. And also, Matthew Rosenberg wrote that miniseries, and he's one of the three writers along with Ed Brisson and Kelly Thompson on this book. So I thought that was a little odd. I can see why if you were a new writer to the X Men, there is there is a lot you can do with Jamie Madrox, like as a mutant power out of control. That's a very interesting one. I love the first page where he's replicating so quickly they see it from space. That was cool. Yes, that was really cre- and kind of creepy. And, I, I, you know, they're splitting up the team into different units to go out and deal with different things. So you've got kind of like the Jean Grey-led team and the Storm-led team. And then you've got the little the, the teenagers who are still back at the mansion. And it, it doesn't – right now it's a little bit more action-packed and a little less soap opera-y. I'm almost ready for an X-Men book to kind of settle in with some of the soap opera stuff. Yes. I think that that maybe I couldn't figure out what was missing from this because I I liked it, I didn't love it. The RB Silver art's good. It is good, but I I think that's what it was missing. I don't I I couldn't put my finger on why when I finished it I was like yeah that was fine, but I didn't really love it. And I think that may be it. It's that these books don't seem to slow down. Because for me, like my favorite panel in this book was when they're getting ready in the the co-ed locker room which <laughs> seems like an odd choice but um, odd choice and they're all they're all sort of arranged very uncomfortably like yes there's a lot of more room in that space you know spread out but when when bishop says when bishop says to storm it ever worry you that things like going to fight dinosaurs just feels routine these days and that's what i want from my x-men books i want mm-hmm. a, like a little bit more standing around like isn't this weird yeah, and it feels like we're constantly getting. We, you know, we had X Men Red, we had X Men Black, we had we had X Men Blue, we had X Men Gold. It just feels like there hasn't been a time to settle in. The books keep popping up, they go away. Uncanny X Men comes back, the other books get canceled, and I feel like I don't have a real hold on what they're trying to do with the X Men. You know, in the, in the past, you would sort of have a team, and then you would t- go with that team for a while, and they'd have interpersonal problems as well as adventures and. And I just feel, I feel like we don't get that because they're so busy having a lot of things happen. It feels like it's on fast yeah. forward. It feels like the story's on fast forward. It does. You're right. Like you're got that. You're trying to get through the commercial on TiVo and then you accidentally yeah. right. go into the show a little bit. Issue ends. Last thing I'll say about it. Issue ends with David Haller showing up, who I would not have recognized if he had <laughs> not identified himself, because <laughs> he doesn't have the crazy hair and he is wearing a suit. And really, the main thing I wanted to point out was this is a very bad suit. It was a really bad drawing of a suit. I will say that as much as I like the RB Silver art, you have to be keep it real, Ryan. This was a bad drawing of a suit. 
I can't tell if it's supposed to be a bad suit and David Howard's just not supposed to know how to dress himself or it's just a bad drawing of a suit. It is way too big. The sleeves are bunching up in weird ways. The, the shirt sleeves under the sh- are puffy. The lapel is very odd. And he's got both buttons buttoned as opposed I to I would the one assume, button. given the long, long, long history of almost everyone not named Jamie McKelvey unable to draw real clothing, that it's just a bad drawing. Okay. That's just that's my assumption because it seems like people who want to be comic book artists or superhero artists particularly spend so much time drawing the characters in costume they don't ever really learn to draw clothes and this is what you get when that happens. Especially clothes that actually drape off the human form and aren't just skin tight. You can see the nipple and belly button right through. So anyway, needs a tailor. Uh, and but you know the one thing he could fix even without going to a tailor is just don't button both buttons on your suit jacket, just the top button. Well, this I would assume this is a three button suit because there's so much material underneath that bottom button, <laughs> right? Maybe. Yeah, do you button the top two when it's a three button? I still think you, it's just you, the one. Button. You can't. No, you can. You just don't do the bottom. Okay. But I mean that's that went out 15 years ago. I did kind of like the idea that Legion's super big hair was slicked back and down. Yeah, but it just made it hard to recognize him. Oh, for sure. Well, that's why, that's why he said who he was. It helped. I needed that. Middle West. Middle West. Story by Scotty Young. Art by Jorge Corona. Corona means crown, Connor. This guy's mm. the king. Did you read this? No, I did not. I agree with you guys. I didn't really love Bully Wars, and I have not been sticking with it. But mm-hmm. this, the cover is, is very compelling, and this is sort of a magical realism book. So it's essentially like... It's a world that's being established. It's a rural farming community with a kid who has a very abusive father. Uh, the kid is a paper boy. It's, I'm guessing that Scotty Young and BKV are of an age where like they have they're getting nostalgic for paper boys now. <laughs> is this a thing? Well, maybe they grew up in a, that kind of that kind of town. I don't know. Anyway, he's got uh, he's got some friends that he's dealing with, but he's also dealing with a very abusive father in kind of a small rural farming community that seems to have some sort of magical essence to it. Every uh, edifice, every human or human occupied building has these weird tanks of like pink goo. And then when him and his dad finally come to blows, a sort of weird, uh, almost tornado like demon takes over his father's body and starts chasing the boy, which is kind of a cool riff on like that Midwestern Kansas, the Mm -hmm. tornado has this destructive force and there's a Fox that can talk to him and it's unclear what magical presence is at work in this boy's life. The issue one ends with him uh, abandoning his town on a, a train, riding the rails, presumably out to some adventure in the larger world. Now, is he going hoboing? It's unclear if he's going hoboing. There's a sketch in the back of the book that is a young boy talking to a very classically uh, classic-looking farmer type. Uh, overalls, pitchfork, hat, trucker What's hat. What's the uh, era for this of this book? It seems m- modern, but with magic. Okay. Okay, interesting. I'd be more interested if you told me it was taking place in the 30s, then I would be more interested in checking it out. Well, it seems like Scotty Young's thesis on this is if you actually had a world with magic, wouldn't you still just have middle America and wouldn't there be wizards who looked like farmers? And so I guess the middle, the idea of it being like middle West is like it's middle earth, but it's the Midwest. Interesting. Okay. You might have sold me on it. You might have sold me. I think I, I enjoyed this issue. Uh, the art by Jorge Corona is very good. They're using Scotty Young's colorist, Jean-Francois Bellou. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I thought as a first issue, this was really good. Okay, fine. This is some of the strongest writing we've seen from, from Scotty since I Hate Fairyland. And the relationship between him and his dad is heartbreaking. Like it's, it really, you're reading how 
messed up the relationship is between him and his dad. And, and I'm just thinking to myself like, Oh man, are Scotty and his dad. Okay. Right. <laughs> like, this, this feels like it's hearkening back to something. All right. While you're talking for the next book, I'm downloading the issue. So there you go. You've won. You've won this round, Ryan. I don't think I'm going to win the next round though, because we're <laughs> heading over to star Wars corner. I let Josh do it last week. I don't know why I have to let you do it as well. Star Wars Corner. This is Star Wars issue 57 written by Kieran Gillen, art by Angel Unzueta. Wait, Kieran Gillen? Kieran Gillen is writing the main Star Wars book now. I thought it was Charles Soule. Uh, he's writing Darth Vader. Oh, I don't know. I don't pay attention. He's he's getting Vader down. I just Kieran wait Gillen for keywords to pop up and then I forget them. Star confused. Wars. All right. So <laughs> the cover of this is very striking. It's uh, Han and Leia as the like farmer couple painting with the pitchfork. That's right. I saw the cover, yes. So, our trio of Han, Luke, and Leia are stranded on basically a moon run by libertarians mm-hmm. <laughs> who don't want to interact with the Empire in any capacity. They just want to live on their planet in peace and be left alone. Good luck. That always works. To the point where they don't even have ships. So uh, Han, Luke, and Leia have crashed there in an escape pod, and uh, they want to get off planet back to the Rebellion, back to the Falcon, but they can't because there are no ships on this planet that can actually get them back into space. They're waiting. Supposedly, they're waiting five months for a trading ship to come by, so they're kind of just figuring out what's going on in this community. There are like weird bear monsters that attack that they have to put on their, you know, Boba Fett esque armor and, and fight off. And then, um, the scene that was making the rounds on the internet is Han. Uh, there's no money exchanging hands. So Han can't get drunk. So the bartender makes him go chop wood for his, uh, bar tab. And so he has a, a shirtless moment with Leia and he's drawn <laughs> to look a lot like Ben Solo in last Jedi. <laughs> so oh, really? It's a, yeah, he's, he's swole as the kids say. And uh, it's okay. a little ridiculous, and it's it's fun to see these characters having adventures before Empire Strikes Back, so that the stronger ties between them in that second film have a little bit more context. Uh, I don't always find the stories themselves as compelling, or and I definitely don't find them necessary. Mm-hmm. But Kieran is is good at writing these characters in the appropriate voices. The art they seem to be heavily reliant on artists of a Salvador Larocca style, where it's a lot of heavy uh, photo referencing, yeah. and to the point where it looks a little clay, claymation and silly. Mm-hmm. So I haven't been enjoying the art. I've been enjoying the cover artist that they've had for a while, who's uh, Jamal Campbell. But the story's fine, and it's it's just nice to get to spend time with these characters. All right, so as we mentioned earlier, the patron pick, which we normally would talk about right now, was the pick of the weeks. But if you go to patreon.com slash ifanboy and you're a patron at any level, you can vote to add a book to the rundown as the patrons did this week. And we thank everyone who votes and does that. We do appreciate it. I just want to mention before we get to the next thing is that I don't know if you can tell how tired we are. But we're tired. And I just want to, want to note that before we move on. I'm on like single digits sleep and it's a low number. I, I'm sorry. Next week, we'll be back to our peppy yourselves. Patreon.com slash iFanboy is what I mentioned. That's where you can go to help support the show directly. These are all ways I'm going to tell you about how you can help support the show as we reach the end of the year, the end of the podcasting year. Uh, we, our next stretch goal is closer than ever. We added a bunch of new patrons this this month. And that patron goal is that in addition to our monthly non-comics media podcast that we're going to do, we're also going to upload all the missing video shows and minis that we did many years ago. There's there's well over 100 of those, probably close to 200 that were pulled off of YouTube by our old distributor, but we have them. We'll upload them for you to watch 
on YouTube and reembed them on our website if we hit the next next stretch goal. So go check it out at patreon.com slash ifanboy. We're not that far off uh, from hitting it. So if you want to see those shows, if you've never seen them, if you miss them, if you want to watch them again, that's how you get them back. Also, ifanboy.threadless.com is where you can go buy our t-shirts, the Fanboy logo shirt, the Herm shirt, the Pickle League podcast shirt, the rating shirt, the one is Electro shirt, the GDAT shirt, and the Blockbuster, Nothing Makes Sense, Nothing Matters shirt. All can be found there, as well as on other other uh, items, mugs, bath mats, iPhone cases, anything they sell over at Threadless, they'll put a design on you. can get those designs on them. But also, it's the holiday time. If you want to give some t-shirts for, for, your, for Christmas or for Hanukkah or whatever you celebrate, go check it out there at fanboy.threadless.com. Also, fanboy.com slash support. That's where you can help us out directly via PayPal with a donation. We thank you for doing that. fanboy.com slash Amazon. That's where you can find the links to all of our Booksplode books. We just uploaded the list this week, so it's got the most recent Booksplodes on them. You can check out those books there. Also, there's a general link there for Amazon if you want to do any holiday shopping. We do appreciate everyone who helps us out in all the various ways we just described. It helps keep the show going, keeps the lights on, keeps us in microphones. We do appreciate it. Let's talk about the patron powers, Ryan. I know this is always your favorite segment. I enjoy it a lot because who doesn't want a power? In addition to getting to vote for your patron pick, in addition to doing, getting to hang out with us in our monthly patron hangout, uh, we also have the patron powers. That's where if you give it the $5 or higher level at patreon.com slash ifanboy, we give you a superpower as a way of thanks. It's not always dumb. Sometimes it is, but not always. So the first patron we're going to thank is Ellen Jersak. Is that how you say that? Jersak? Sure. Ellen can turn anything she's holding transparent. Anything she's wow. touched, anything she's touching, she can turn it transparent. Permanently? No, 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 no. She can just turn it there and back. That's, I think that's a question, though. No, it's a great question. If she was sitting in a car, the car could be become transparent. If she was holding an apple, the apple would be transparent. Could she untint a tinted window temporarily? She could turn it transparent, so it would be like it wasn't even there. So technically speaking, yes. It, like when you say transparent, do you mean transparent like glass is transparent, or do you mean co- like bordering on invisible? I mean like glass is transparent. Okay. And Ryan, if she were holding your hand, she could turn you transparent. Would you see straight through me, or would you just see underneath my skin and see my organs? Well, if she's really good, she could just do the skin. Would I be brittle like glass? Can I still no. move around? No, no, no. You're still in you're, any way? you're still you. Nothing okay. has changed. So when she first got the powers, she would turn your whole body transparent. But as she got better with them, she can now control very finely. So she could just do your skin if she chose to. So chose to do she so. do herself? Well, if she touches herself, sure. And I don't mean that okay. bad. I just like her face or whatever. You, all right. Well, that's that's kind of neat. I'm sure you could find use. I think that would actually be useful. I think you could do some. You could create some very impish practical jokes with a power like that. Mm-hmm. Ethan Dizotelli. Is that mm-hmm. how you would do it? Sure. He gets a notification before any memories are erased inside his brain. Like a pop-up notification? He gets a pop-up in his mind's eye that says, you're about to delete this memory. And then he can choose, much like emptying the recycle bin, would he actually like to keep it? But is there a penalty for keeping it? Because cl- nope. obviously there'd be, there should be a reason why he's about to lose the memory. Yes, but instead of just forgetting things and not remembering that he remembers them, he at least gets to make a choice every time his brain, every time our brains would naturally just kind of forget something, he gets to make an active choice over whether or not he wants to let that go or hang on to it for later. Interesting. Okay. Ross Finian has read every book. Yikes. All of them. What about languages he doesn't know? He's read them all. 
is he just reading them phonetically? He's read it. That's that's that is his power. His, Does he remember all of it? He remembers as much as you remember every book you've read. It sounds like he needs to read these books aloud to Ethan, and then Ethan can remember it. <laughs> it. Sounds like these two need to team up at the library. But if you said to Ross, "Hey Ross, have you read that book?" He'd be like, "Yes." And he's not lying. No, he's not lying. But he couldn't tell you anything about it. It just has happened. He's it's a, like magic. He he has read it. What about books? Is he always reading the original version of the book? So, like, if the book was, you know, Don Quixote originally written in Spanish, but is he, has he read? He's read every every published version of every book. Every published every published book ever. That's a lot, man. He's read them all. Prose only or graphic novels as well. If his book has been published, he's read it, no matter what the format. Children's he's books. He's read my thesis. He's read it all. If it's been published, he's read it. Uh, I mean, it's been bound into a bound volume. Well, it, it wasn't published though. It's available as a PDF at the, on the Vanderbilt Library server. No, he hasn't read it then. Okay. God, Ross. But he's read them all. Every book. But no one's read my thesis. All right. Anyway. <laughs> Dare Duvall. Dare, Dare, Dare Duvall. Duvall. I think that's right. Dare Devil. Dare Duvall. This, if, if this person actually does have a Daredevil-like lifestyle, this is this power is actually going to be more useful than I anticipated. Uh, Daredevil, time releases caffeine in their body. So any caffeine they drink gets uh. stored like a specialized organ and then when they're like oh i need a little boost they can like squeeze it out and give themselves a couple questions this only works with caffeine i assume yes not like sugar any way that the caffeine is consumed so whether it's soda coffee tea any you could just crunch on a coffee bean and the caffeine instead of being immediately metabolized and used by your body goes into a special storage organ when the when when requested the body can be flooded with caffeine it's like human nitrous and he obviously only has as much storage as consumed. Yes. His fundamental capacity for storage is as yet unknown. And does he have like a meter that he knows so he knows how much he's got? He has a sense. He has a strong sensation. In the same way we would feel like full after a meal, he can like he can kind of feel when he it's just getting full. He just feels full. low. Yeah. Or he feels full. Needs mm-hmm. to release some caffeine. Yeah. Or if he's just like if he's you know if he's starting to get that sort of afternoon malaise and he's like oh I'm, I'm a little groggy and they just kind of and then he's like oh I'm back I could use that power right now I bet you could Patreon.com/slash/ifanboy that's where you can go if you give it the five dollar higher level you get your own superpower and we thank everyone Ellen Ethan Ross and Daredevil this week thanks for being patrons let's do an audience question Ken from the Great White North writes in to say please 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 update us on the T Rex genitalia issue from the last episode. Ryan, if, before you get to your answer, okay. I, know you, I know you're ready f- with it. Uh, if you didn't listen last week, one, uh, one of those patron powers that Josh gave out was he gave out T-Rex legs to a patron. And I asked, does that also include uh, T-Rex genitalia? And we both realized we didn't even know what the deal was with T-Rex genitalia. Ken would like us to update us. Ryan, it's serendipity year on the show this week. Yes, it is. I was pretty excited about that. So, dinosaur genitalia. Should you give your bona fides that you are uh, an expert in this field? I am a practicing vertebrate paleontologist. I do not study dinosaurs uh, professionally, but know a fair bit about dinosaurs and have taught dinosaur paleontology classes at the collegiate level. You have not spent a career studying dinosaur wangs. Well, because we don't have any in the fossil record. So, wangs are soft tissue Mm -hmm. and therefore uh, is very... Much less likely to preserve than hard tissues like bones or shells or exoskeletons. Uh-huh. We sometimes find soft tissue preservation of dinosaurs. So something like an Archaeopteryx, you can see the feathers in the very soft sediment that that bird 
or dinosaur, depending on your uh, where you draw the line, died in. So <laughs> the, the way that we think about soft tissue, including things like genitalia for animals like dinosaurs, is we take the living relatives that we can bracket dinosaurs into. So we know that at sort of the base of the dinosaur family tree, a group of reptiles called archosaurs. We have the crocodilians, which include all crocodiles, alligators, caimans, and gharials. And then the most derived dinosaurs that we have today are birds. So all birds are dinosaurs. So that's something you just kind of have to pound into your head until that's you believe That's official it. now. Yes. Okay. So we call them avian dinosaurs, and then we call everything that pop culture thinks of as dinosaurs non-avian dinosaurs. Should we be then killing all the birds? We are, basically, by having outdoor cats. Okay, but should we be more efficient in it, since they are dinosaurs and could at any point rise up and kill us? No, I think, I think that they deserve their place on the earth as much as we do. Okay, I'm just asking, because I, I can start now. The one group of dinosaurs that sort of gives me pause and a little bit of worry are crows, because crows are incredibly smart, okay. uh, to the point where in places like Yellowstone, where there are reintroduced wolf packs, mm-hmm. crows have figured out how to do aerial reconnaissance for the wolf pack, and so they will help lead the wolves to kill sites where uh, like an elk or a moose has died, because the crows aren't strong enough to like get through all the fur and the skin of a giant animal like that, but if the wolves can come and open it up for them, then they can get a free meal. Okay, so I don't think I'm going to sleep tonight after hearing that, but also let's get back to T-Rex wangs because that is the question at hand. Right, but what that means, that the crow thing, just my final point on that is I think eventually crows might domesticate their own version of dogs, and then we'll have dinosaur dogs that will have to fight against our human dogs, and that's going to be what really scares me. There you go, Image Comics. Have that one for free. Go ahead. So because we can bracket dinosaurs by their living relatives, the crocodilians and their living descendants, the birds and T-Rex in particular is a theropod dinosaur. So that is the lineage of dinosaurs that produced birds. So all birds are not just dinosaurs. They are theropod dinosaurs are in that same group as T-Rex and birds by and large reproduce using what's called a cloaca, which comes from the Latin word for a sewer. And it is a single opening that connects to the reproductive organs, the urinary tract, and the intestinal tract. So they have sex, pee, and poop all through the same hole. But That uh, is also the condition in crocodilians. So it stands to reason that if crocodiles have it and birds have it, the group in between those two dinosaurs probably also had a cloaca. So there's no dinosaur peni. Some birds have evolved a penis in particular ducks and other waterfowl uh have a penis so a duck's penis can be up to a third of its body length and it is somewhat um when it it, it is forceful in its eruption i will say and it mm-hmm. has kind of a corkscrew shape <laughs> the weird thing about it is I it regret falls everything. Off after every mating season they have to regrow it every year which sounds like a hassle That's kind of a messed up system specific to ducks and some other waterfowl dinosaurs by and large. Some of them may have evolved specialized organs, especially like some of the really huge ones that might not have been able to do what is called the cloacal kiss, which Uh is where you just rub your cloacas together and exchange genetic material Uh between the male and the female. I think it is as gross as it sounds. (laughs) And um, yeah, that's what we think was going on with dinosaur genitalia is it, they had a, a single opening for everything and they just rubbed them together until the female was ready to lay some eggs. All right. So if you got all that, that's what's the deal is with the, with the dinosaur genitalia from last week's episode. So thanks, Ken, for writing in. Contact at ifanboy.com is how you can get on the show. 
Let's wrap this up with some plugs, Ryan. Yeah, so I do a podcast called Science Sort of, which you can check out at sciencesortof.com. But I also have an upcoming event. I am performing at Story Collider here in D.C. So Story Collider is a science storytelling podcast and live show. And in December, they are hosting an event as part of the American Geophysical Union's annual meeting. And I am one of the performers at that show. Oh, so when is that happening? That is going to be on December 13th at the Carnegie Institute of Washington and uh, doors at 6.15. Show starts at 7. Uh, tickets are free, but space is limited. So if you want to come hear me tell a, a storytelling show about my, my life in science, that is something you can do if you're in the, the DMV, the D.C., Maryland, Virginia area. Will you be talking about dinosaur penises at all? Uh, no, I will, okay. be, might be ta- I will be talking about dinosaurs. Okay. Dinosaurs do factor into my story. Well, we'll have a link for that in the show notes if you want to go check it out and you're in the D.C. area and you want to hear some science stories. Go do that. Also, if you want, we're going to keep banging the drum. Dreadnought Legends number 1, available on Steam and Comicsology. If you want to read the comic that I helped put together, written by Paul Montgomery and David Campo, with art by Priscilla Petrades and Marco Lesko, it's a comic based on the video game Dreadnought, although you don't have to play the game to enjoy it. It's available for $1.99, which is almost half the price of a regular comic, so you almost have no excuse to go, to go read it in Comicsology. We would appreciate it if you did so. Also, check out our other podcasts. This month we had our books explode from My Heroes Have Always Been Junkies. I guess technically last month. Either way, November's books explode. My Heroes Have Always Been Junkies. Josh and I reviewed the Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips, uh, their latest OGN, the criminal book. And before, previous to that, Josh says Talks Blowed with Katie Cook is out there behind this show on the feed. You can go back and check out all, all of our podcasts. Let's talk about the holiday schedule for the rest of the year. So we have two more Pick of the Week episodes. Next week is episode 662, comes out December 2nd, and episode 663 comes out on December 9th. Then we take a break from Pick of the Week. We come back, episode 664, January 6th. In between that, though, we'll have more shows for you. We won't be missing you. You won't be missing us. Spider-Man and the Spider-Verse Special Edition, all media podcasts on December 16th, and the Aquaman podcast. Those movie shows will be coming out at some point near the release date of the films. And if you're a patron, the, the patron hangout for December, the final one of the year, is going to be early December 2nd. So keep all that in mind as we head towards 2019. While you're thinking about that, head over to fanboy.com. You can find all those podcasts I just mentioned. Our books explodes, our talks explodes, some of, some of our old video shows are there and our, all of our old picks of the week and also all our old articles. The ones that Ryan used to write are up there too. So you can go check that out at fanboy.com. You can also find out what the pick is before the show comes out by liking us at facebook.com slash ifanboy and following us at ifanboy on Twitter. And you can follow us individually at haupt on Twitter, at Ryan Haupt on Instagram, and at Patrick on Instagram. And if you're digging the show, which I think you should, I think this was a fun one, uh, write a review or leave a star rating on iTunes. If you give us nothing else for the holidays, give us the gift of some feedback on iTunes. And also tell your friends. You're probably going to be seeing folks that you only see once or twice a year in the upcoming weeks. And so use that as an opportunity to also plug podcasts that you like. People need to know what podcast to listen to. Sometimes the best way is just to take their phone, subscribe for them, and then hand them the phone back. So do whatever it takes to help spread the iFanboy love. And with that, I think that that's all we got. That's right. And again, thanks for listening to this episode where I'm on like three hours of sleep plus tryptophan, whatever the hell's in the turkey. So thanks for putting up with this bizarre but fun Thanksgiving show. Until next week, I'm Connor. I'm Ryan. Tryptophan is an amino acid. I don't know what that means, but we'll talk to you next week. Next week. I'll tell you what an amino acid is. Mm-hmm.